are listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners, an agency made for manufacturers. My name is Jeff White and I'm the co-founder of Cooler Partners. Joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing today, sir? I am doing well, sir. Uh, and you? I'm, I'm doing great. Yes. Nice. No, it's... I, uh, okay, I think uh, today's show is, uh, like, I hesitate to say this to our listeners because maybe they'll all stop listening, but I think it's going to be kind of an, a good uh, episode for marketing geeks, you know, like if you want to be the kind of people that think maybe a little too hard about this stuff sometimes, um, then it might be just about right. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. I know I've been nerding out about it just, to, you know, to get the speak about user interface and UX and things like that on, on the podcast for sure. Yeah. So, so folks, I mean, what we're hoping to, to chat about today is, um, is really, I guess it, it, it kind of all starts with, with the notion of as marketers, who do we create, who are we creating for? And today's guest um, brings a kind of an interesting insight from the, uh, based upon the, the work that he does, that I think just challenges uh, how we think about um who we're marketing to, who we're building for. So absolutely. Why don't you introduce our guest? Absolutely. So joining us today is Yazan Akawi of MSTQ. And Yazan is the founder and principal product designer there. And we first met at the uh, Maypie Manufactured Summit um, and uh, got to talking about some of the things that he was doing. And he spoke there and uh, found it really interesting. Anyway, what, welcome to the Cooler Ring, Yazan. Thanks for having me, guys. Yazan, it's a pleasure to be chatting. Um, and, uh, and, and I, yeah, I'm excited to kind of kick this around a little bit, see where we get. So um, let's just start by understanding a bit more about the work that you do at MSTQ, the types of clients that you work with, and kind of the, 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 the area of focus. Yeah, so uh, MSTQ is a product strategy and design firm. And uh, the metaphor that I always like to start with is we are the architects for software. So when you think about how you erect a skyscraper, you know, you have essentially, I'm oversimplifying it, but there's three phases. There's the urban planners that look at a property and try to evaluate the best use of it and evaluate the surrounding area. And then there's the uh, architects that choose the materials, uh, craft the facade, um, create the spatial composition within it. Uh, and you know, it's obviously much more complex than that, but they essentially hand off blueprints to the general contractors. Those are the guys that hit hammer to nail. So the way that translates into the software world is, uh, for MSTQ at least, we sort of handle the urban planning and architecture phases, or in other words, or more commonly used, the research and strategy or the discovery phases, and then the uh, user experience, user interface uh, phases and, and arriving at a product design um, in which like the, the end of the scope there is to hand off the documentation for engineering teams to actually build it. So my role uh, within it is uh, the principal. So I spearhead all the projects and um, uh, a lot of the work that goes into uh, or, or the, the, Work the, the types of clients that we work with are all over the place. I mean, uh, we've worked with manufacturing companies, um, startups, well-funded startups, uh, concept stage startups, all the way to Fortune 10s and uh, a few or a handful of companies in the Fortune 500s as well. Um, so 
it's pretty uh, it's pretty dynamic uh, the way that we engage with anyone who's building software. I really like that the, the notion of you're working with manufacturers to create a digital product, and it really changes. Or you know, I found in our initial conversation that you were in some ways uh, challenging, uh, oftentimes manufacturing marketers that you're working with in, in that capacity kind of think about who they're building for a little differently. And I think that started really with the notion of, of challenging buyer personas a little bit um, and uh, and maybe adding to them a bit more and making them more useful. Um, can you take that take us through that a little bit and what, what, what kind of the problems that you see with buyer personas as traditionally defined and how you try to augment? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, the best way to lead into that is um, just a general philosophy that I have that I think is widely accepted that great design always starts with the person that you're designing for that any, anytime you're making something and it doesn't even have to be a product. It can be anything, uh, an advertisement, a physical product, a digital product, a website, um, a brochure, business cards, whatever the case may be, you always have to have the person who's receiving it or interacting it in mind. And so um, I think, you know, it's pretty safe to say that uh, every activity should at least take into consideration the person who's going to be using it. For the most part, with software specifically, um, you know, the people who have access or the level of scale that you're designing for is really broad. Um, And so it gets pretty complicated when you start to think about, all right, well, who exactly am I designing this for? And it and it could be a wide range of people. If you think about Facebook, for instance, Facebook has you know, billions of users. And how do you summarize augment, uh, or, or segment the, the people that are going to be using it and take them all into consideration? And the way to think about that, I think, is to get into the universal elements when you're segmenting out different people in the audience. Um, and I'll give a quick example uh, in a second here. But as you're segmenting the audience, um, you know, there's a lot of th- ways that you can summarize that. Uh, the most common way that people create artifacts as a means of representing the person or the people that they're making something for is through demographic personas. And a demographic persona is something like, um, let's see, let me, make, let me make this up. Emma, who's a female, lives in Chicago. She's 25 years old, single, you know, X amount of income. Um, or like a female who lives in Scottsdale, 45 years old, high income. Um, this is her job. These are the brands that she buys from. A lot of these, a lot of the data here isn't really actionable from design. Or some people might find it actionable, actually. But what I've found, generally speaking, even at the MapEye conference, you know, I, I sort of pause in the presentation to ask this question, which is, okay, first of all, how many people have used a demographic persona? Ninety percent of the room raised their hand. Uh, okay, and the second question was, um, of the people who have actually seen or heard of it, how many people use it on a daily basis or or uh, frequent uh, or frequently enough? And there was maybe three hands that went up, which I think is evidence that making demographic personas is something that people do just sort of going through the motions, and it's something that I've struggled with too. You know, as somebody who's worked with. Um, companies as a designer, brands as a designer, and uh, part of the value that I tried to add um, in in creating these artifacts that represent the end user, there's 
something uh, that's it's a difficult conversation to have with the client when you're just creating something by going through the motions. And and I'm sure you guys have probably experienced this at some point too, where you're 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 trying to avoid um, things just as activities that aren't necessarily delivering value to your clients, right? Yeah, and I find that the trouble too with the you know just it makes them even worse is that inevitably the demographic becomes so broad even <laughs> as you to know be meaningless. Like, to try to say that people you know 25 to 44 are somehow broadly you know <laughs> carry any kind of characteristic is uh, is is quite a stretch so or the alternative where we break them down so finely that there are so many different personas that you really can't you know, you can't be designing something for that number of people that you all think are completely different. Yeah, something that appears to have a level of false precision. Yeah, to it in some yeah. Way. yeah, exactly. And and even the you know whether it's finely broken down or extremely broad, the the most important reason that I've uh, concluded as to why they're so unuseful for me specifically and for most people that I talk to, because it doesn't explain why somebody does something, why somebody buys your product, why somebody. Um, uh, likes it or or why somebody would engage or interact with like say uh, an advertisement or something you know it's not because uh, your customers as mostly Caucasian women in rural areas aren't buying your product because they're Caucasian women in rural areas you know there's something deeper about that and so what I found is like taking that even deeper going into personality types because um, I've been experimenting with different ways of, of presenting this information, but personality types I've found have been the most actionable for a lot of reasons. All right. So let's break that down a little bit further because you use a, a specific model in terms of assessing personality types. I want to understand how you um, uh, how you use that in your work uh, and, it's, and it's kind of the practical application of it, kind of what the output of that is. Uh, of the personality-based? Yeah, like what's the, you know, how, how, do you, how do we do it? What does that look like? And, and then what's kind of the design outcome? What are some of the examples of, of how that's driven, uh, how, you, how you design or how you think? Yeah, yeah those are uh, really important. So I think um, the most useful framework that I've used is the ocean model, the five-factor model for um, summarizing someone's personality. And if you're not familiar with the ocean model, there's five personality traits that essentially um, summarize someone's uh, personality and psychographics. Um, again, just using only five personality traits. They're openness. Do they enjoy new experiences? Conscientiousness. Do they prefer plans and order? Extroversion. Do they like spending time with others? Agreeableness. Do they put other people's needs before their own? And neuroticism. Do they tend to worry a lot? And uh, this is actually a pretty cutting-edge model in social psychology because um, it's being used, I think, pretty significant, uh, pretty frequently to uh, do personality-based research. And for a designer, it's incredibly valuable um, because, uh, you know, let's say we're making, um, you know, I keep coming back to an advertisement because communication design is, I think, the most uh, widely understood uh, example, but if you're if you're advertising to somebody who's low in openness, meaning they they don't enjoy new experiences, and high in agreeableness, meaning they uh, tend to be agreeable and put other people's needs and wants before their own, 
um, then there's different ways of communicating to that person to somebody who is uh, who worries a lot and is very goal driven, who's high in conscientiousness. And the example of that would be um, to the, the first person who's low in openness and high in agreeableness. You'd want to focus on bolstering community and traditions and, and really communicate to them by identifying with the community that they identify with and use nostalgia to deliver messages versus somebody who worries a lot. There's fear is a big part of that equation. You can either add value by alleviating the fear or uh, uh, or communicate the value by exposing the threats that they might be worried about. And then you have to be extremely rational with how you talk to them in the tone, in the, in the copy or the content that you're delivering to them. Um, but does that make sense? Absolutely. So when you're working with clients, you have, you essentially get a kind of a random sampling of customers or people who are going to be using the uh, product that you're designing and, um, and, and essentially survey them to uh, find out um, kind of where your user group falls from a personality type perspective, or is it more um, qualitative than that, shall we say? Yeah, so there's there's two ways that I tend to go about this. Um, the first is uh, one that I've <laughs> never actually done, which is to survey customers um, and, and try to create these personality-based uh profiles based on a set of questions. So there's like, uh, there's so many ways you can arrive at somebody's uh, ocean or five factor composition. And one of the ways you can do it is just through a quick 10 question survey, which seems simple enough, right? You can just send this out to a random sample of customers that you have who are willing to participate in, you know, the, any research studies that you're doing. The problem is when you're, um, Sending these surveys are questions like, I, I tend to sympathize with people. I, uh, you know, sometimes one of the questions can be, I really love myself or I really hate myself. You have to kind of rate that on uh, a scale of one to seven or one to 10. And they can be really personal, which is kind of uh, weird and, and off-putting for somebody who's trying to participate in some consumer survey. Um, so I, I tend to avoid doing that directly, and I think um, a lot of a lot of my reservations in gathering that data of sending out those surveys is um, there's so many ethical implications of what you can uh, do with that type of data. I think Cambridge Analytica. Are you guys familiar with Cambridge Analytica and the the scandal during the yeah. the presidential election? Yeah. So um, they it was just such a good example of how they were able to use these personality profiles to exploit uh, vulnerable people in the masses and exploit, um, you know, people's, uh, you know, areas of weakness to manipulate them. And that's the last thing that I want to do um, because I know, well, you know, uh, on an aside, design is never neutral. You're always manipulating somebody in some way with, within the manner in which you're presenting information. But, um, I, there, there are instances where I don't know if I'm manipulating for good or for bad. And so I, I tend to avoid going into those vulnerable, you know, ethical areas in, you know, capturing hard quantitative data on, on anyone's uh, personality-based profile. Um, so before I go into the second way that I go about gathering the data, I want to give you guys a chance to react to that because I know that, that we can unpack that in so many ways. Uh, well, uh, look, I, I... I can uh, understand the ethical concerns. I guess the um, uh, on the flip side, the, there's just the, the practicality of getting the information, like you say, in a business-to-business -business context, for instance, asking 
a B2B buyer, um, uh, the questions that you would ask for a personality assessment can sometimes just seem really weird. And of course, marketing a little over the top. Yeah. 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 We've, um, uh, doing brand archetype work have found, uh, asking questions to help people understand or perhaps begin to put their brand into the view of an archetype or through the look at through the lens of an archetype, um, has a similar uh, challenge from a surveying perspective. Let's put it that way. So that's something I can very identified with. Yeah, it can be pretty weird. I mean, even asking regular consumer survey questions, sometimes uh, people are, are not very receptive to. But so because of that, um, you know, a natural part of product design research is getting into the field and conducting interviews or ethnographies. And like ethnographies are pretty weird because you're sort of a fly on the wall while somebody's, uh, somebody knows that you're watching them and is trying to pretend like you're not. Um, but uh, through that process, you know, you're able to sort of draw conclusions and, and make guesses about how people would relate uh, from a personality uh, perspective. And um, while it's not completely accurate, um, the idea is that you, you can, you know, if you're interviewing 10 or 15 people, um, just that implicit data that you've gathered, um, or at least for me, the, the implicit data is enough to sort of draw broad sweeping conclusions without necessarily identifying anyone's personality type um, quantitatively. Uh, so that's, that's the number one way, the primary way that I go about sort of creating these profiles because it's how, you know, qualitatively when you're creating a persona, um, I, I think that's most common in ways of gathering it um, aside from like surveys uh, that you can send out to hundreds or even thousands of people. But I, I will say that regardless of how this data is gathered, um, a psychographic persona does uh, so many things, even if it doesn't, there's no data that's being uh, quantitatively or qualitatively gathered. Because A, um, just having a persona, because I know a lot of uh, my clients, for instance, are, um, as I'm sure most of yours are, somewhat reluctant to spend a uh, considerable amount of time not getting into the design work or the craft work uh has that does that happen for you guys as often as it does for me i think most agency folks would say that they experience that of course people want to spend on the doing not so much on the uh, thinking on the strategy the, yeah yeah people would have limited appetite for that by times yeah yeah so I, so there's there's always some budgetary constraint in which there's a limitation in how you're able to gather that data um but it, it you inevitably can't make anything unless you have some decision framework, some ability to um, have uh, a basis, a, pers a persona that has some basis for uh, a representation of the end user where you can, again, uh, to go back to the first point, take a, a specific person into consideration when you're making a design decision. Um, it also gives you the ability to have shared knowledge. So by having a set of, you know, it's usually three to five personas, three being the primaries, and then maybe a few peripheral personas, uh, two or three in addition to those. Um, it, it creates shared cross-department reference for, um, you know, if you're, if you're working on the marketing team, or if I've had an experience working on a product or marketing team, I always find that the personas are, are used uh, on the sales team or on the operations team uh, because it's it's equally as effective um, for uh, other activities and not just design. But the most important thing is it forces me and my clients to think deeper about who the customer actually is. So again, it's the original sin 
to make any design artifact without hard data or, or some version of it. And it's an original sin to make any design decision without um, good, strong data or at least be informed by it. And so at a minimum, creating these personas helps create a, a, an awareness of um, how important it is to go out and gather this information, number one. And number two, um, to, uh, when you move past demographics, then um, it activates the, it sort of forces you to think deeper about who this person is on a, on a personal level um, that I think it's easier to relate. Drive more ROI from your online presence without going through a website redesign. Enter 2020 with a clear view of your website's weak points and the priority opportunities to improve your marketing performance. Website 2020 from Kula Partners is the high-impact website diagnostic package for manufacturers that will help you drive immediate ROI from the website you already have. To learn more, visit bit.ly forward slash WS 2020. That's bit.ly forward slash WS 2020. Look, I think um, a, a, a few points. First off, you've convinced me on... Um on the utility of personality types and how it can actually shape and change what you create, um, whether it's um, what you, what the copy that you write or the uh, interface you design or what have you, I can begin to see how, how, how that makes sense and how that would translate. And I do think this whole conversation points to another challenge that marketers just have to deal with at some point. It's like the notion of even creating buyer personas and customer personas and that process, um, you know, starting with a, a qualitative conversation with a few marketers and maybe a few salespeople, um, and all of the assumptions and assumptions that are built on other assumptions and assumptions on assumptions on assumptions that happen on down the road as these things are built out um, does create a, a, a questionable uh, foundation. Sometimes I think from you know it's it's it unless we just think as marketers we're just uh, we got better instincts than everybody else on this stuff and we just know it. Because <laughs> right? we're observing them, and we're somehow uh, have a mythical gift for this versus the average show. But Shh, I think don't I, tell them we don't. Yeah, but I, yeah, I just think a lot of people call BS on that at some level. Um, uh, or, but, but at the same time, those same organizations aren't always saying, oh, "Okay, yeah." And by the way, I'm willing to invest two or three hundred thousand dollars to actually go out and know for sure. Yeah, you know where where on, on, on a personality type spectrum. Do my intended buyers and my uh, customers over-index yeah. in these characteristics? I mean, that would be incredibly useful information that almost nobody wants to invest in going out to get. I'd agree with that completely. I, I think that, you know, kind of taking that information from there and, you know, understanding our, our personality traits and things like that, like, what's next, you know, as you move into... Um, you know, the, the interface design and kind of creating things for the people that you now know more about? Yeah, that's a good question. So the, at least for my process um, for creating a product design, there are different stages in which um, I'm working with a company. Either they have an idea that they want to create some tangible, clickable experience um, that, that they would ask me to create for them. So, hey, you know, we know we have... Uh, Let's say, um, let me try to think of an example. Um, like we have a, a, a customer that we're selling a paint gun to, for instance. And um, we want to create an interface that helps 
control this this piece of equipment. Um, and there's there's nothing defined yet. They just know that they have the physical manufacturing part down, the supply chain around it, the the customers exist, and they just want to uh, uh, to move towards the the interface that ultimately uh, the digital interface that that controls this uh, machinery or this equipment. There's when I'm segmenting out different personas. The way that I step through it from there to connect, okay, here's who we're designing for. Here's what they are like. Here's what they do like. Here's their behavioral tendencies. Um, there's somebody who, who's going to be, um, you know, extremely careful. They, they almost overcompensate on caution when using something versus, hey, we have most of our, our users are people who are pretty reckless and and kind of careless. They're, they're very open to experiences. And so they're sort of like, they have uh, high levels of extroversion, high levels of openness. And so their attention is, is usually sporadic and, and hard to stay in one place. So those are two different uh, experiences to design for. And um, it, it starts to become obvious as you get into the tangible interface. But from there to bridge the tangible interface to the people, there's a lot of storytelling that happens in between. And I think this is also very unique in my own personal process, but taking a lot of this time, a lot of times this is visualized via like an infographic or something, but um, it's combining those psychographic personas through uh, a customer journey map, the phases in which they consider using the product, the phases in which they are using the product or interacting with it. And even the phases after all those phases are considered. Um, and so basically mapping these personas onto a uh, timeline, how do they behave over time and how do these emotions fluctuate based on what we know about their personality types? So we map all this out into a customer journey. That is different every single time because it's, it's, you know, you're essentially creating a new narrative um, and visualizing it in a way that's, that's uh, very quick to consume and digest. But from there, um, you know, there are different moments in which features within a product become more valuable than not. Uh, and I know, uh, you know, before this conversation, there's probably a distinction to be made between usefulness and usability in product design, because design goes all the way from the strategic decisions on what is this thing to the tactical decisions of um, how does it look or how does it manifest onto the screen? And a lot of this stuff is really valuable for usefulness. How do we know what features to provide, when they're useful, when they're valuable, when they'll be used? Um, and so the, these strategic artifacts or these strategic activities, you know, mapping out these psychographic personas over time, uh, are, it's really great to get into the usefulness of a product. Now, taking that across the other end of the spectrum, I'm going to try to, to be as concise about this as possible because, as, again, as I'm sure you guys uh, can relate to, a lot of this, this stuff can be pretty robust and comprehensive and pretty complex. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep it short. But at the other end of the spectrum is the usability in which some, you know, you're choosing things like colors. Like here's somebody who's uh, is very cautious when they're using this machinery, and you know, colors like red or orange uh, stir up a lot of heightened um, anxiety. So let's use very minimal color palettes, uh, lots of blue hues um, to sort of create a, a calm association with the interface. We'll minimize the amount of buttons that we display at once because 
of their uh, sensitivity to being anxious within the moment that this thing's on. You know, there, there's already enough anxiety just um, making sure that they're using it properly. So let's let's try to use this interface as an opportunity to create some um, uh, uh, as an opportunity to, to I guess calm them down or give them uh, like a sense of uh, make them feel a little bit more relaxed when they're using the the, the screen. So I think that's an interesting overview of really how the the personality profiles are driving just two sides of the coin really it's driving you know is this the right thing to make or the, the future sets that we're going to deploy or create at any given time or just kind of what, what is it that we're actually making and then how are we making it kind of um, i'm not sure people have always thought about that or really uh, the design that. decisions that are being made at that time yeah it's yeah. just a, it's a nice way to uh, i guess articulate that uh, yeah and you know, as much as I love talking about the value of psychographic personas, it's something that's very, um, I found has been unique to my process. So I get really excited when I'm, when I'm sharing this part of the process. And I always get, you know, eyes that are glazed over when I talk about the ocean model and the, the, the research behind it and the practical uh, use behind it, because it's still pretty ambiguous unless there are examples where then it becomes immediately clear. Yeah. Yeah. Designer guy. When do we get to the pretty pictures? Come on. Yeah. Right. Right. Cause then, cause then we get to the, so, so a lot of what working backwards from the experiences of like, well, can you make the logo bigger or can you make this button bigger? And naturally as a designer, you start, you have to ask why, because if you're just agreeing to different suggestions, then um, you're not really adding that much value. Like part of the, value of design is the facilitation of a lot of things but in this case it's the facilitation of what the client wants and or what the business wants and what the the end user wants and so when somebody's like hey can we make this button bigger my response is always immediately even if i agree it's almost immediately why why do you want this button bigger why is it too small what do you, what do you want to have happened um, with uh, by making this change. And it always goes back to some conversation around who the end user is. And in those conversations where you're, um, I, the word that I'd use is negotiating with the client of, of how something takes form or takes shape, um, it's so valuable to be specific, to use a name, to point at a picture, to point at a personality profile. Um, because in that instance, you don't have to read a 10-page, you know, document about who this person is. You can just look at a quick visualization and inherently immediately understand what this person is like. And it, they come to life a lot faster. And so having these conversations becomes much more effective. Yeah, I think the ocean model, um, it just helps. Uh, it can connect a lot of dots that you don't necessarily need to be explicit about. You know, when you say somebody over-indexes an openness, well, you know, the, we, you know, we could probably each jot down 50 bullet points of what that could possibly mean depending yeah. on the business or the organization. It just helps people get it without having to be academic about it, I think. But I think it also speaks to the importance of involving someone like Yazin in this process very early so that they can help guide that process of, of who and how and why are we building this for those people. You know, I instead of bringing um, design in at the 11th hour to provide a veneer over over the uh, product yeah of course you're going to say that and and our esteemed guest is going to agree <laughs> you're both designers and 
so I just look. I just feel like I need to take this opportunity to apologize to our listeners for the. <laughs> uh, it's obvious what you're trying to do here. No, but I, 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 I agree with you. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I think that the this, the business of design thinking, et cetera, is you know all of all of that thrust in the world of business over the last decades have really been around just that um uh, getting the world of design and the what it has to teach us uh brought to bear earlier in the process for sure um all right well look i i feel like we maybe we just tie it up here what do you think i think this has been a fun show uh we've gotten incredibly geeky about personas uh but i think it's been incredibly helpful um in uh in challenging our listeners around just how do they think about who they're creating for and uh has introduced a really interesting new tool with the ocean methodology that you might consider in uh, building your personas further it's in i really appreciate you taking the time to take us through this today it's been a pleasure yeah, likewise. It's, it's really been great chatting with you guys. I mean, I, I feel like we were just getting started. We could probably go for another two and a half hours. Do you guys have anything? Uh, do you guys have a hard stop? <laughs> I'm totally kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, no, but thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. No, this is what every everybody wants to do. Is they want to listen to marketers like us drone on for three hours. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, thanks so much. It's been, a, it's, it's been great. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.